0: Hi folks, this is Jack Spierka with another edition of the Survival Podcast. As always, one man's view of the changing world, the changing times, and the things we can all do to live a better life, if times get tough, or even if they don't. Today is June the 12, 2014. This is episode 1366 of the Survival Podcast. Today, I get to welcome back Jen Jen Mendez of uh, Permikids.com. She's here to talk to us about teaching self-reliance and preparedness in our children's lives and doing so at an age-appropriate way so that we in, you know instill empowerment versus unnecessary fears. Before I bring her on, though, let's go ahead and take care of our sponsors. Sponsor of the day, number one today, backyard food production, the awesome, the illustrious Marjorie Wildcraft, who lives somewhere south of Austin. It's a closest she gets to giving away her real location. I can tell you what, I've been there. It's really, really cool. And uh, she has really gone a long way to feed her family from her land by turning her backyard into a food production machine. That's what her DVD series entitled Growing Your Groceries can do for you. Check her out today at backyardfoodproduction.com. And uh, I'll tell you what, her techniques work, whether you've got a tenth of an acre in the city or ten acres in the country. It doesn't matter. They can be scaled up or down to fit your needs. Next up today, Ready Made Resources, the company that says what it does and does what it says. All the resources you need, ready made, ready to go. Point, click, and buy on their website. Check them out today, readymaderesources.com. Everything you need for your prepping from the tactical to the practical, from gardens to guns and everything in between, you'll find it at readymaderesources.com. Uh next up, want to remind you guys about the Member Support Brigade. We have great discounts for you there. Over forty different companies provide discounts on things you're probably already buying. And it's how you can support this show at eighteen point three cents per episode. So when you're done with the show, if you think, you know what, Jack's show's worth twenty cents a day. It really is. Two two dimes for that, yeah, that's worth it. Consider joining the MSB. You don't have to. The way I run the show has always been that way. The show's free. The blog's free. The forum's free. Everything we do is free, really, from a standpoint of content production. We do have some extra content for you in the MSB. We have over $150 worth of free eBooks as well as all those great discounts. It's our way of uh, providing value for value and uh, asking you to uh, financially support the show if you believe it has enough value in your life to do so. Uh, on that note, let's go ahead and remind you guys also if you want to be part of the MSB, but you are in uh, in the line of service to our country and to our people, and I mean that either as military, law enforcement, or Peace Corps, or a first responder like an EMT, paramedic, or firefighter, and that's active duty or prior service for any of those professions. If you email me before, not after you join, again, before you join, you put service discount in the subject line, you send that email to Jack at survivalpodcast.com. And uh, you tell me about your service in one or two sentences, I'll send you that discount code before you join to thank you for your service so you can save even more money on an already great membership. Um, that is the email address for me. A lot of times people say, Jack, I need to find your email address. I give it out pretty much every show. Uh, there's no super secret squirrel email address. All my emails go to the same place. I don't have anybody that works for me that, that reads them. I read all my own email. I respond to many. There's no way I can respond to all of them. Again, the email address is jack at com. It is the most likely way to get a response from me, certainly more so than Facebook or Twitter or something like that. Anyway, with that wrapped up, let's get into the year that was the episode. The year is 1366. Because the episode is 1366. Alex Shrugged has this for us at tspwiki.com. A brewery for the modern day. The date is right on the label. Anio 1366. Stella Atros beer begins in the Belgian town of Levin. The name of the beer is not yet Stella Atros. The brewery is called Den Horn, meaning the horn. And that explains the horn on the modern label. The beer we know today is Stella Atros came about in 1926 when they put out a special Christmas brew. It became so popular they decided to produce it all year long. They named it Stella Atros with Stella meaning star and Atros being the name of a master brewer of the company from years gone by. The brewery eventually moved across town. The original site was left abandoned until 2011 when it was finally demolished. My take by Alex Shrugged on a personal note. When I was no more than eight years old, my father took me out to the back porch, handed me a beer and a cigarette, apparently wishing to teach me a lesson. I was delighted until I took a big swig of beer and I dragged off that butt. I turned green and just about puked. My father must have hoped to cure me of ever drinking beer, smoking cigarettes, and it worked. When I grew up, I drank Jack Daniels and smoked cigars instead. Thanks, Dad. May he rest in peace. I love my father. When When I speak, I hear his voice. That's cool, Alex. Um, not really a reflection on history, and my take isn't really a reflection on history either. My take is a reflection on present day. But I think it's interesting when we we link the past to the present. And I think that actually makes history a lot more interesting. And if we have a little bit of uh, fun with it or, or so, or just have a an interesting societal quirk with it, then it's even more interesting. That's the case with Stella. Stella utrus is known as something unflattering in the United Kingdom. They call it wife beater. I'm not making this up. If you stick Stella utrus into Google and put start typing wife, it will com- autocomplete to wife beater. And you can find all kinds of history about it and quite a few pub owners in the UK say that when they had lots of violence going on in their pub, it was always the guys that came in and drank Stella that seemed to be the ones committing the violence, and it led to this belief that maybe there's something wrong with Stella to Trust. It's a bad beer; it causes people to misbehave. Well, drinking too much causes people to be that way. Um, I think it's kind of like it would be kind of like blaming Budweiser, or in this country, I guess it would be Bud Light. There's probably no beer consumed in greater quantities throughout the United States, than Bud Light. And, you know, if you had to pick the three, it would be Bud Light, Coors Light, Miller Light. All the beers I don't drink. They taste like water to me. And if, you know, you had a bunch of rednecks getting drunk on on Bud Light and causing trouble, then all of a sudden you say, well, Bud Light is now, you know, trailer park beer or something like that. It's similar to the 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 undeserved, probably, reputation that Stella has in... Uh, in the UK, because actually their slogan, their marketing slogan, is, slogan is something to the effect of uh, reassuringly expensive. You know, they market it as this high-end beer, but apparently a lot of the hooligans and what have you drink Stella. And if they like Stella and it's their their drink of choice, and the pub owner were then to remove it from the lineup. It isn't that people no longer are drinking Stella, so they're no longer causing trouble. It's that the troublemaker can't find his beer of choice there and goes elsewhere. And it's an interesting thing, because what it talks about, then, for us to understand is causation and correlation, which gets used a lot in the media today to convince us of something being true, even when it's not. Here's a little interesting note when I did a little research on this to see um, a little more about it, because I didn't know a lot about the, the, the reason it was called Wife Beater. In fact, the only reason that I knew it was called Wife Beater is because of my old partner, Neil Franklin, who's from Wales. And We were out one night at a bar, and we were drinking, and we ended up ordering that. And He told me, yeah, we call it Wife Beater in the UK because it supposedly makes people violent. And, um, that was all I knew. And then I did a little more research, and it's a much bigger thing than I thought it was, apparently. Because if you go to Wikipedia, uh, not our survival wiki, but the actual Wikipedia, and you look up the page for Stella Atrus, they mention that it's, it's called Wife Peter in the UK, and there's a note that Anheuser-Busch InBev, which is, Anheuser-Busch of the European area, right? So it's not even like the division of Anheuser-Busch from here. They actually still have an argument going on about the name, who owns the name. Uh, and the the, the company that, that owns Stella now is Anheuser-Busch InBev, and they tried to remove the reference to Lifebeater from Wikipedia, and the Wikipedia editors put it back, and not only did they put it back, they put in that people from Imbev and their lobbyists attempted to remove it from Wikipedia. So basically they called them out publicly, like saying, Wikipedia is not here to judge you, we're just here to say what is. And it is, so leave it alone. So it's, to me it's kind of interesting that this beer that has all of this kind of a gossip story around it now, and this it's certainly undeserving reputation, because... I, I've never noticed any more feelings of aggression or what have you after drinking Estella than drinking, oh, I don't know about Heineken, right? I mean, it's, it's beer. It's what it is. It's, there's nothing in it other than, you know, hops, water, yeast, and malt. That's it. So it's not a fair thing. But then to understand that that beer and its modern brewery goes all the way back to 1366. What that does for us is tell us how long beer has been with us. And if you want an interesting look at history, folks, check out a little documentary. You can get it on uh, Netflix if you have it. It's called How Beer Saved the World. Pretty interesting. Anyway, with that, enough of the history segment. Let's talk about the definite present with uh, a really awesome woman named Jen Mendez. And with that, hey, Jen, welcome back to the Survival Podcast.
1: I'm great. I'm great. Thanks for having me back, Jack.
0: We have, we're just kind of talking off air, it's kind of a a topical thing, and you were asking me if I uh, was thinking about this when I was doing a couple of my shows recently on public education, and the answer is no, I, Dorothy does such a great job um, of doing all my scheduling for me, I pretty much check out my my interviews usually the day of or the day before at most, so I didn't know that you were going to be on, but since I saw your name I knew what we were going to be talking about, we're going to have you on today talking about educating young children about self-awareness, safety, and preparedness issues in developmentally appropriate ways. And I'm sure we'll get into a little bit about the education system. But uh, before we get into that, could you just tell people that maybe have not heard you on the air before who you are, what you're doing, and and how you got to where you are? Because uh, you kind of come from that public education sector.
1: I do. I do. So I'll make that sort of short and sweet. Um, I had a very... I guess, quote-unquote, typical childhood as far as education goes. Uh attended public schools, went up through. Uh, at 16, I uh, found that my, uh, my state had an option to be able to go to the University um, of Minnesota and that the state would pay for it except for books and transportation. So I did sort of a, you know, out of norm there where my last two years of high school were actually in college. Um, but uh, I enjoyed that, and it was definitely... A, a nice reprieve from from what I had been experiencing. Um, and uh, I decided, though, that I really needed to do something drastically different. I really wanted to get out and just challenge myself and figure out who I was um, and what I maybe wanted to do in life. And so I enlisted in the military and spent a, a few years, uh, went through a language school out in Monterey, California, for a year to learn Farsi, and that was a great experience. Talk about a challenge. Just a totally different way of thinking about learning, um, compared to what I was used to. And, and, uh, I worked as a linguist for a while and later I, um, went back for an ROTC scholarship and became an officer. Um, and I filled that role for a few years and eventually came to a place where I, um, I wanted to do something different with my life, and um, I knew that I needed to find something that was a better match, so I got out and uh, worked for a contractor uh, for a few years while um, searching my options, finally went back for a master's in international education, and that was grounded in the International Baccalaureate Program, um, which is a, a... a fairly child-centered way of looking at educating. And I found that I just had a passion in my my whole life. Everything that I had done up until then, all of my military career, I had jobs, but my real role was an educator. And uh, so I found that that was really a passion that I had, and I was good at it and enjoyed it. Um, And so I then worked as a classroom teacher Public schools, private schools, uh, international schools, um, both here in the U.S. and international schools overseas. Um, I've worked from early childhood years through upper um, upper elementary, fifth grade level, and um, and then I decided to have a family of my own. And I knew from my experiences that I wanted to be a stay-at-home mom, and uh, that I wanted to be able to. To have that experience with my children, with my family, and uh, so i I started doing that then a few years ago, and at first, I took a lot of what i what I had learned and a lot of things that I had come to just accept um, in education, and I brought those into my home um, and It was not some of the typical things like you 'd mentioned in some of the other shows, you know desks and straight line. it was not that, but it was it was just a general. Outlook, um, And it's been over the years that I've started connecting this passion for education, now being able to extract myself and look at learning from a different perspective, no longer having to be tied to what's happening in the, the educational system, and combining that then with a passion I found in permaculture, um, and I found that those were the, the ethics and the the principles, which really many of those principles could be considered skills, um, that I thought people should be empowered with and that 's what I want my children to explore and uh, so I started meshing those two together and uh, met you and and uh, Josiah and um, uh, Nick and uh, we ended up having a conversation doing a quick presentation at one of the um, get-togethers at your place, one of the training um, uh, classes that you had, and uh, presented this idea of, hey, you know what, I really think we need to start putting together an educational, not really a, a curriculum, but more of just a framework that is built on the ethics and principles of permaculture for young children so that they can start to see life and they can start to see the resources and the the surplus that is in their life, and they can start to see how it can be connected to other things, and how it can be used in new and innovative ways, um, and and then connecting that with traditional subjects um, that we think of when we think of education. Uh, so I now find myself as a stay-at-home mom. I homeschool slash unschool, depends on how you define those. I'm sort of I sort of do a hybrid of multiple different uh, philosophies and techniques that are out there. I find what seems to work best for my children, and that's what we do. And I've taken that and started a business um, called Kids, and that's really thanks to you and to Josiah and Nick and your encouragement and uh, saying, you know what, I-, I think this is something that other people would be really interested in and that there might be a community of people that are looking to connect with each other and uh, that's exactly what I found. So, just within the last few months, I've started Permikids. Kids. Um, I'm doing podcasts, but also starting to put together um, some lesson ideas uh, that people can take and use in very uh, individual ways. And uh, so, as a community, we're coming together and doing that. We, heck, we have we have over a hundred podcasts already. Um, it's crazy how time flies. And, uh, and just getting a lot of great emails from folks and we're starting to again come together and I had people coming out of the woodwork saying, you know what, I really want to do something different for my kid. I just don't know how. I just don't feel like I should be or can be an educator in my child's life and I don't know how to get started. What's happening now, either where my child is currently, their, their current situation, or where they're going to be going if they're a very young child, isn't a good fit. And um, so we have an incredible diverse group of people who are all starting to collaborate now and um, and design an education uh, that, again, is grounded in the ethics of simply care of people, which starts with yourself, especially for young children. And then, of course, awareness and care for the earth, everything else around us, living and non living um and looking at life through through this patterns you know the the patterns that exist um and starting to see those in everything we do, not just out in our garden, not just out in nature I mean that's one way to apply these ethics and principles, but in anything you do. I mean, when you're reading a story, when you're reading a nursery rhyme, there are patterns built in there, and there's patterns that connect that nursery rhyme to others that your child may be hearing. And so to start exploring, you know, anything and everything that's in a child's life through this approach of how are things integrated, how is learning and life really one instead of looking at them as two separate things. So
0: that's uh, a summary. <laughs> that's a summary all right. That's a great summary. Um so we want to talk today about you know awareness, safety, preparedness in the lives of our children but being appropriate to their ages. Um not having little children afraid that something is likely to happen when there's a 1% chance that it could happen and yet having them in a mental state where they can deal with something if it does go wrong and have some level of awareness and uh, situational awareness, et cetera. So what do parents on that vein need to know about children's development to be able to help them become more self-empowered without placing like this unnecessary burden of fear on them?
1: Oh, I I mean, that's really an important thing to think about because, um, you know, many of us who are coming from this mindset of wanting to be prepared, wanting to have that sort of lifestyle, and then we have kids and we think, geez, how much should we tell them? Uh, When do they need to know? Maybe I shouldn't tell them anything. Um, And really, what I say is that it's important to help kids prepare, not for emergencies not for preparedness so much as to be able to handle adversity in general. And you do that by simply living responsibly and by building a community that starts with, at the very core, the child and the family, and then connecting with your communities that you are also Involved in, and that could be your, you know, local communities. It could also be communities that you find online. It could be, you know, communities through interests. Um, But it's really about living the life that you want all the time, so that your child is seeing the both the the soft skills and the hard skills that go into being able to live a responsible life, being able to be aware, being able to take responsibility um and to do it in a way that that if you're living every way every day with that it isn't something that's that's new and scary it's simply an approach that you have every single day you wake up how can i take a look at what's happening in my life you know what do i have what do i need how do i use what i have to get what i need and you know that could be a Myself, you know uh you know quality food that i can that I can eat, and even for a young child um and for young children, you know I think a lot of people they get a little um a little frightened sometimes that what they do might screw up their kid for life, right, and so they they get to this this place of fear um where then they don't do anything and it's important to understand that kids are natural learners and they are also naturally resilient. Um, I mean, if you think about it, even an infant is is engaged both passively and actively, communicating with the people around them. Even an infant is using, you know, their nonverbals to communicate. So um, we need to, to keep in mind that kids are capable of a lot more than we tend to give them credit for. And if we are if we are living a life sort of in fear or with this view of of scarcity, we communicate that to our kids. Instead of living a life based on responsibility, based on the type of life and the type of people that we want to be and modeling that for them. Um, You know, and when you're thinking about child development, when you're thinking about really young kids, um, you know, maybe like the zero to three age, um, you know, there's some things that that most kids, At that age tend to have in common and those are things like being able to, you know, ask and then seek out answers to really great questions. Um, you know, in, in my kitchen, in fact, I have a huge poster on the wall and we simply record questions that my kids come up with, um, even if they're at random, and we put them down so that we can go back and we can revisit those later. And, I mean, we have some incredible questions up there. So kids, even from the youngest ages, are able to ask and answer questions. Um, the other thing that's important for child development to know is that for young kids, play is critical. Play is such an important part to learning. And it really should be an important part to learning for life. It isn't something that is exclusive to young children, but it is definitely something when you're, when you're thinking about, when you're, when you're dealing with young children, that you need to keep in mind. And when I say play, there's often this misconception where people are like, well, if I just take what I want them to know and I put that information into a game format... Then it's play and it's going to be fun and they're going to learn it and they're going to want to learn it. Instead of uh, instead of approaching learning, including learning about self-awareness, self-regulation, responsibility, safety, from an attitude of playfulness, um, being willing to experiment and take risks and you know and talk about things and try things that might be silly and goofy. So approaching learning through an attitude of playfulness not just taking information and, again, shoving it into a game and saying, well, now it must be fun for the kid. Um, The other thing for child development is that children need to have direct contact with their environment, with all five senses. And obviously you see that with very young kids. You know, what do you see? You see babies putting things in their mouth all the time. Um, And it's because they interact. They, They need to have that input and try and process it in their mind. Um, But those things, you know, asking questions, an attitude of playfulness, um, direct interaction with your environment, and then also, you know, learning from people around you, both in passive and active ways, and learning from yourself is something that starts from the earliest years. But when you're thinking about, you know, um, toddler age, you know, or, Early primary years, like you know, four to eight years old, those characteristics of, of a child's development still exist at that next level. They just are starting to refine what that means to to ask questions, right? Um, if we are not beating it out of them, um, they are just learning how to how to really understand and and engage with people and experiences in their life. In direct ways with their five senses, um, and again, even when you go older than that, those things still exist, and I would argue should exist well into adulthood. Um, but of course, there you know there are some differences, and you need to most important know your kid or kids or students if you're a teacher. I mean, that's you know we say that, and we put a lot of lip service sometimes to well, of course I know my kid, or of course I know my my students as a teacher. Um, but do you really, honestly know and value them as an individual? And sometimes, if you if you do that, you're going to find that they have ideas or they want to make decisions that would not be the ones that you would choose. And being willing to step back and say, you know what, I need to I need to empower them from the earliest ages to start really engaging and getting that feedback from the world as long as it's not going to you know harm them or harm someone else or something around them, you know, as long as it's it's something that is, is reasonable risk. Um, but that even starts with kids who are who are infants. Um, you know as soon as a kid is mobile, take a look at your house and figure out, okay, where are the, the big areas that are a risk? And yes, put some sort of child lock on the, you know, the areas if you have certain chemicals or you have, you know, trash cans or things that, you know, I mean, really could be a, a risk for a young child. But other than that, let the child have some freedom. You know, I mean, don't, don't get so involved in. I have to pick up one of these, you know, these play pens, um, which is what people do. And I'm going to give my my kid a five by five space, and that's where they get to play because I feel safe. Um, you know instead of empowering them even from the youngest ages to go around and start opening drawers start pulling out you know if you have plastic Tupperware you know put those things that are uh, you know that would be fine for them to explore that they're not going to hurt themselves or hurt anything else in the lower drawers you know think about that so that and allows them to start getting that that feedback um, but when you're thinking about safety and a lot of things that that you know the preparedness world Um, Again, I really think it's best to just approach it from, you know, what is most likely, you know, to happen in our life, and let's just live a life in a way that makes us prepared for those things. But when you're thinking other safety issues, um, you know, there is sort of a a spectrum of growth for children, and they tend to start out with a perspective where they have a shared self-awareness. So, you know, we know it self-awareness is, you know, I mean, having a, an understanding of, you know, of ourselves and our environment. But when we're really young, children have a shared self-awareness. They, they have a hard time disconnecting who they are from their caretakers that they spend the most time with. Um, I mean, you know, think about when you're, when you're a baby, you're, you're being carried around by your mother. Where you go, what you do is connected to another person. And so there's sort of that shared self-awareness. Um, And so, you know, there needs to be then a shared um, engagement when it comes to safety, you know, where you uh, as an adult, we do things or we don't do things because we already have certain thoughts go through our mind. And a lot of times we don't even know what those are because we do things without thinking, you know, we don't stick our finger into a, a light socket. Because we know what 's going to happen, right, but for a young child who 's having that shared self awareness, they need that shared experience, and they need to hear you verbalize why I, I should do one action or not take another one and um, and they they start to learn through that that shared experience. But as a child gets to be you know um, late toddler years, early childhood you know to early elementary years, they start to have their own self-awareness when it comes to safety and they start to understand you know what is happening around them Um, and that's a great age to start engaging them with things like um, there's a couple books you know one is um, Scaredy squirrel. I love Scaredy squirrel. My kids love it too. Um, and Scaredy squirrels is simply a story of a squirrel who is up in a nut tree and is scared of everything else in life around him, and never leaves the nut tree. Has an emergency plan. Has a has an emergency kit all packed, <laughs> ready to go um, for in case Martians come or killer bees or the shark. You know, I mean, all these. You know, again, in the preparedness world, a lot of times the things that he is imagining are those one percent chance of anything, you know, sure, chance scary, of a chance of a shark attacking like you when you're living bunkers,
0: up in a tree? you call this Doomsday Bunker Squirrel? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's it, a fabulous it, story. It's Doomsday Bunker Squirrel. Um, you know, on that note, what are some specific knowledge points and skills that we should be tre- teaching, you know, children, you know, at these younger ages? What are some things that we definitely, you know, we should definitely make sure our kids are able to do certain things?
1: Sure, absolutely. So, um I think it's really important to think of both soft skills and hard skills as integrated because um there is a value to to knowing hard skills but far too often children are taught things and they're they're treated like they are an empty basket, and we can just fill them up with what we want them to know. And so mm. then people teach them a, a hard skill. But when that child is in a situation where they don't have every single thing that they had when they were taught it, they don't know how to move forward at all. And, I mean, you've about, talked about that in the past, the you know chicken soup without parsley idea. Um, and it's very true with children. So I think there is a great need to put emphasis on the soft skills let lead to you be able to do our hard skills um, that lead you to be able to look at anything around you and use it then in innovative ways to be able to accomplish something. But you can only accomplish that because you've, you've learned that hard skill as well and you understand the basics of that. So, um, you know, there's obviously uh, things like, you know, awareness um, and awareness includes, you know, physical, mental and emotional awareness. So, for kids, and it sounds so simple you're thinking, how does this have to do with you know with safety and self awareness and you know um, self regulation responsibility, but things like eating um, you know and getting them involved and seeing the whole process um, even if you just pick their favorite food and say you know let's let's take a look at everything that went into making this one thing, this your favorite dish, whatever it is. You know, where did all these things come from? Um, if we wanted to make this, could we even grow these things? you know could could this be done here? Um, so you can use something that's already of interest to them um, and doing things like um, well, you can do things like role playing, um, which is always great with kids, kids of all ages, right but don't just you know role play a scenario, um, you can actually do what's called a a play plan where you and the child or children sit down together and you brainstorm what the situation is going to be and what each person's role is going to be. And then you actually either, if you're a young child, you should draw a picture that shows everybody playing their role. And or if you're an older child, you actually write it out. You could actually end up writing, you know, a couple paragraphs or, or a whole story about your play plan. Um, so then you can pick scenarios that are, are most likely to happen. Um, you know, so for us, one of the things, you know, is always just storms um, and having the power go out. Uh, there's a, a book by uh, Mercer Mayer called Just a Big Storm. And in there, the family encounters just that it's it's a storm and there's mom dad sister and brother and in there then they realize the storm is coming um, because they're 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 observing they're outside they see the weather start to change they go inside they they check the batteries in their flashlights they realize it's cold so they start a fire in their wood-burning stove um, you know they start thinking about these things and preparing for when the storm does hit and they do lose power um, but they do it in such a, a, an engaging, fun way. Um, and then in the end, the, the power comes back on and everyone's happy. They, they get to go about their, their life. And in the end, the young boy is like, well, you know, it really wasn't a big deal. It was a big storm. But it's because they had already kind of thought about that. So then what we do is take stories like that and we create our own play plans and and when you're doing that with young kids, you know, again, you can do basic things like, you know, you're in a situation and what do we do? What if what happens if the power goes out? Well, let's walk around our house and let's see what we have. Oh, look, in our, you know, we have certain lights plugged in around our house. When the power goes out, here's what happens, you know, and so you actually create a play plan and then you act it out and you role play these things actually happening and how the kids, Start to take responsibility. What they could be responsible for in a situation like that, um, especially if mom and dad aren't right there for whatever reason, right? So that they can they can get themselves in a place that they aren't afraid. And then for older kids, you take that exact same thing, that exact same play plan, but now in your play plan, you start adding things like. A, document, a documentation kit, which actually you just talked about in a previous episode too, right? And, and the importance of having that if you had to, to leave the house, right? Well, if you're doing a play plan like this, you can actually create together as a family the documentation kit. Talk about what should be in there, why it should be in there, where it should go, where, how many of them you should have, where you should place them around your house or in, you know your vehicle. But you're doing it all through role play and preparing to role play. Right, and so you can actually do this together. So even if you have a young child who doesn't fully understand what's going on, they now know that they have this book that they helped create, and they flip over to this page, and they know exactly where Grandma's phone number is. Right, and so they are they are now empowered to actually get themselves in a the place of of safety and feeling secure.
0: In a situation, you know, let's 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 think about that one right there for a minute. So. I think a lot of people realize that it's important that our kids know how to do things like dial nine one one. So you fall over and have a coronary, and your kids there, and your kid's smart enough to dial nine one one. What you just said is really important that that kid can figure out how to call grandma or uncle Joe or somebody, because sure, nine one one is who you need that kid to call first. Uh, you need them to get to get somebody there to help you, but. At that point, your kid needs somebody, and you're busy having a heart attack. So I think that's something like people really leave a big hole in is, is making sure that kids can reach out to other family members in a scenario like this.
1: Absolutely. you know. And what's going to happen for most kids, you know, you practice the 911 thing every once in a while. Right, And if you're in school, you know, it's like it's for the first month that a kid's in school, you practice fire drills or, you know, calling 911 or stop, drop, and roll. But then it's like you don't do it. So what's going to happen when the kid is actually in a situation? The likelihood of them truly recalling that is not great. But how often do you call grandma or your neighbor, whoever is in that child's life, right? So why not take this and use then this this documentation book that you created together and actually use it once a week? or once every other week to call that person just to have a real chat so that the child is actually doing this and, and, you know, and is engaged and then and it's second nature. So when they're panicked, that's what they think of, you know, geez, I call, you know, I call grandpa every week. I bet your grandpa could help me right now because I'm scared. And well,
0: then that grandpa- makes perfect sense, right? Because, well, one, you should have that intergenerational link, but two, what you're saying is an awful lot like what Stephen Harris is saying Use your rechargeable batteries in your remote control and your Game Boy and things like that. So when the power's out and you need new batteries, the kids know how to do that because, trust me, if their remote controls and their Game Boys depend on it, they're going to know how to do it.
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. You know, yes. And, um, you know, you can do these same sort of things and, and role play with going down and doing the inventory of your food storage. Right, which may be a totally boring thing for kids if you're just going to say, "I want to teach you, you know, how we have food stored up here." Um, but instead, if you build it into a play plan, you know, now you create this documentation kit in case this, you know, whatever scenario you guys are coming up, and you can let them get as creative as you want and then you can bring it back to reality later, right? So if they want to do something totally off the wall, but then they're, they're they're creating these things. They go down, they look at their food storage, they do an inventory, they see what's there. You know, maybe even pick something when you are then role-playing, out this play plan and you say okay now we don't have power what do we do well let's go down and we've already done the inventory you know it's down there but you know uh how are we going to cook this um and so you've thought through some of these things and again what
0: are all the things that we can make that we would like to eat out of these ingredients i mean that usually gets kids attention they like to cook I, i i've never you know in all the the years that i've and i struggle dealing with kids because i'm a type A, get it done personality, so I lack patience with things like if we're putting up a fence, the fence needs to get out of the way, I'll put the fence up. <laughs> but, but when it comes to cooking, I've never met a kid, once they're old enough to understand you know the basics of it, when you start making something, if you try to involve them, they really don't want to be involved with it. I, I really haven't. It's something that, I don't know, I guess it's a human thing that we have that reward center response. And so if you get them thinking about cooking and making stuff, especially now, throw out the whole s'mores and cookies thing if that gets the ball rolling, whatever. But get them thinking, like, how this applies to them. I think that has a lot to do with any type of education. Like, I think one of the biggest struggles our children have in schools is there's a lot of things that they go, why does this matter to me?
1: Absolutely, absolutely. And and so, you know, you want to – you wanted to connect it, again, to their everyday life. And you can take that even a step further. You know, what do you do for your child when they are hungry? Um, you know, and even from young, I mean, since my, well, okay, so even my daughter, a year and a half old, um, you know, when she is hungry, she knows that there are certain um, places in the kitchen and certain, uh, you know, drawers within even the refrigerator that she can go to and she can find something that is you know, okay for her to eat, she can get it out herself, sometimes she brings it over because, you know, she's having trouble getting the top off that particular time, right? But you do things and you build into your life ways that the children get to take responsibility. So, you know, you already build those things in, so then when your child wakes up from a nap, they already go and they don't ask you, and they go and say, hmm, what can I do to provide some sort of snack for myself because I'm hungry, And, you know, and they start looking around and they start putting things together and, you know, and, and it's great because now they feel like when I'm hungry, I can actually go and I can, I can satisfy that need. And by me setting up, you know, my house and my kitchen in a way that has reasonable things that are safe for them to eat at their age, um, at their, at their, you know, level that they can reach, then that empowers them, and they feel like, you know I have choice too. I don't just open up the refrigerator and I have to eat you know Mom or Dad tells me to eat for my snack, but I open it up, and I have six, seven, eight different things. Maybe I'm even going to combine some of them and make some you know weird sandwich for myself that you know Mom or Dad would never think of, um, but let them experiment. Let them sort of have that fun playfulness um, while they're they're taking personal responsibility. Um, now, I will say that I can turn around and, you know, kick you in the ass um, at times because when you start to empower children and you start to encourage independence and self-reliance in some of those ways, you will find them doing that at times when you're like, oh, you know, that was not the time <laughs> for you to to get up there and, and uh, you know, and get your own snack, you know, and now I've got, you know, a big mess in my kitchen. I mean, those things happen, right? But what is the value of giving them the opportunity to do that and just being aware as a parent that you know what sometimes they're going to start applying these skills at times when it's not convenient for you and you just need to take a breath and realize my kid is 3 my kid is 6 my kid is learning you know and uh, and as long as they're doing it with again the foundation of they're taking responsibility they're empowering themselves then, you know, is there is there any harm in what is happening? Um,
0: yeah, there's there's some lessons in, in that line of thinking. I remember this this lady whose husband I worked for one time, and I was talking to her about some of my struggles with Matthew when he was younger, and she said, let me tell you a story about when I was a kid. She said when she was really little, she got this blanket, and she got these scissors out, and she cut all these fringes on the end of the blanket, and she thought it looked so pretty, and it was a god-awful mess. So her mother doesn't get mad at her. She just takes the blanket and puts it away. And she said as she started raising her children and had struggles with some of this stuff, her mother went and got that blanket and said, what do you think of this? And she goes, wow, that's a god-awful mess. And she goes, yeah, you did this when you were four, and you thought it was the prettiest thing in the world. Try to remember that. And as long as the blanket's not like a Persian tapestry, it's not that big a deal.
1: Absolutely. That's something I
0: always remembered and tried to remember in, in my dealing with young children that a lot of things they think is a great idea that it really isn't. As long as nobody gets hurt and we don't have to mortgage the house to pay for it, you might teach them not to do it again, but let it go.
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, you know, yes, it's, <laughs> you know, I mean, when you're thinking about the like the play plans, I talk about role playing, especially talking about young kids, you know, keep in mind that you do these things and you're playing them out, but. Young kids, especially as they're processing, you need to make sure that you are communicating that, you know what, this is play. We don't actually do these things unless we really have a time that we need to do them. Um, and so trying to communicate that message ahead of time, but being aware that that's what kids do. And you know what, that's a great thing. That's what kids are supposed to do. That's how yeah. they grow up. That's how they yeah. learn, you know. Um, you know, and, and and little things like... Um, you know, we were outside uh, the other night, and my my son was um, getting eaten alive by mosquitoes. And it was really one of the first nights that this was really a problem. And uh, they're all over him. And you know, he went to to dad and said, "Hey, dad, you not know, I'm I've got these mosquitoes all over. You know, is there is there something that I can do about this? You know, um, I just I don't know what to do except for you know, slap them when they're biting me." And so Dad walked him over and said, hey, do you see this this plant right here that we purposely put next to your playground? And, of course, we have a small playground in our yard, but we also have two acres of food for us. So, um, but, you know, we were right next to the playground area, and he said, do you see this plant we have right here? It's catnip. And, you know, and we have some other things right around your playground area on purpose. Let me show you some of these others. And, you know, if you take some of these leaves and you crush them up and you rub them on, you know, there's certain smells and there's certain things that, that insects don't like and it can, you know, you can help. So, what my son do the next time we were out? Actually, the first time was we were inside our house, and he saw a mosquito inside the house. He said, I need to go outside and get something to put on in case that mosquito comes to get me. But, you know, <laughs> but, I mean, that was it, you know. I mean, it was, and it started with him asking a question. That's the other yeah. thing, too, you know, is with kids, you really want to, you don't want to focus on statements, you know. It's not about telling them. It's about, one, you asking questions, and inspiring them through questions, and then two, you getting them to be able to ask questions themselves and to be able to actually you know be inquisitive to be able to think about things in a different way um, you know there's uh, I call it skinny and fat questions, right so the idea that a skinny question is something that has like a one or two word answer and you're done, a yes, no, uh, you know, or you say a number, you know, how many feet does a cat have? You know, that's a skinny question. Um, And then a fat question is one that has a lot of meat to it and it has a lot of substance to it, you know, Um, and that could be, you know, um, how do fish breathe underwater? And so you want to help kids start to ask those questions and you want to recognize when they do because kids ask those questions and we as adults sometimes don't even notice that they ask them. And because kids' attention spans are limited, they go from that and they move on. And we need to capture and bring their attention and say, that is a great question. You know what? Either right now let's let's look into that like like my husband did with the catnip, right, or with the other stuff that we had around us. You know, he went around and started showing him some things and different uses um, that it might, might have for him. Um, and then, you know, there are times where you're not in a place but you say, You know what, what a great question. You know what? Let's take just a moment and let's write that down. Because I think that is such a great question that we want to come back and, and explore that. Um, or we wanna to go to the library and let's let's next time we're there, let's look for books specifically about that question. Um, so that you're inspiring kids to ask questions real deep. Thinking questions, and then and then how to you know how to go about that, um, you know how to answer that question, and how to think about resources in that exist to be able to answer those questions, or that you can repurpose um, to be able to you know to answer that question. Um, you know, one of the things that I love doing with my kids is um, there's a, a book called Not a Box, and uh, it's it's uh, has very few words, and it's simply a rabbit who has a cardboard box. And but it's not a box. And every single page he's using his imagination to s- about how that box could be used because it's not a box to him. Um, and so you know taking fun things like that and doing that in your own life with your own kids when they ask questions, you know. Um, you know, it's not a flower pot. It's a make it up, you know, find a way to use it. Um Turn use the line. Yes. Yes. Um, you know, and start to get creative so that kids then are empowered when they're in a situation that is stressful, that is, you know, a risk to their, to you know, to their safety potentially. That they can look around and see things around them in a whole new perspective. Um, and by simply doing fun things like that, you empower kids that way. Um, so, yeah, absolutely, you know, or, um, you know, going on resource hunts or scavenger hunts, right, around your neighborhood or your yard, um, but instead of, you know, looking for, you know, a 1964 penny or, you know, whatever you put on a, a, a scavenger hunt list, you know, why not put resources that have to do with, with food, with water, with community, with energy, um, you know, in your scavenger hunt? Um, you know, or I spy, that's another great one for kids. Um, You know, the I spy game or 10 questions, right? But you can do things where you're drawing their attention to things around them. Um, Or for that matter, when they are in, you know, let's say they do go to school, um, you know, and, you know, you want to help your child start to have some sort of understanding about if there was a situation and they found themselves, you know, for whatever reason, I'm not able to get there and there's an emergency situation and they need to get themselves home. How do they do that? Well, iSpy is a great way to start that with young kids where you can start noticing certain things around you, certain things on, you know, the, the, um, the roads that you're often on, um, and having them take note of those things through games. Um, that's just, you know, a, a great way to think about it. Um, and, uh, you know, and also rhymes. Um, you know children's rhymes um, or songs and uh, you know and not only do a lot of rhymes and songs have important messages um, you know but there's also connection to historical events a lot of times through rhymes or songs and so you can you can start with something that's really fun and playful for the kid and if they are engaged and interested well, you know what? Let's research a little bit about the author or a little bit about when this nursery rhyme was written, what was really happening at that time. Um I mean you do the history segments, right? But you can connect history and real events but in in child friendly ways through things like rhymes. Or for an older child, if you're not reading um, you know, Greek and Roman mythology stories, um, some of the classics. If you're not reading, you know, Aesop's Fables and, and you know, Grimm Brothers, you know, some of these, these stories are out there. Think about picking up a book. And, you know, I mean, you don't have to buy it. You can go to your local library and just get one that's translated well that actually is, you know, communicates the original message. But, you know, these are things that have great um, messages that are presented in a way that the child can grasp. And even if they don't get the entire whole meaning of it, they pick up bits and pieces. And as you repeat those stories or repeat those rhymes and songs throughout a child's, you know, growth and development over the years, they start to see different things in that story. And they start to tease out based on where they are in their development. Um, And so, you know, what a great way to connect You know, real events that are happening and then, you know, if if there is some sort of connection to things that are happening today, you know, be real and, you know, have some of those, you know, discussions about things that are happening when you're in a safe environment with a kid, you know, dinner as a family. Sit there and and talk about, hey, you know what, we were just reading the story the other day and you know what happened to me today? I was on my way to work and I had a flat tire. And, you know, here's what happened and here's some of the things that, that I had to, you know, think about and overcome, but you know what? I'm so glad that, you know, the other weekend uh, I took a look to make sure I, I you know, had my, you know, spare tire and that, you know, it was still looking good. Um, You know, hey, you know, hey, Susie, you know, I don't. I don't know. Have I ever showed you where that is in the car? I know you're nowhere near 16, but, you know, would you like to look at that maybe after dinner, you know, or maybe this weekend, you know, we can go and do that. I can show you exactly how I had to do it because, you know, it was really a learning experience for me. And so you have these real conversations, but they're grounded in something that was fun and playful and, you know, child centric.
0: That makes a lot of sense, Jen. So, Kind of just on a a note with some of the things we've been talking about on the air recently, do you see a difference in the way to approach this with children who are homeschooled or unschooled versus children that are schooled in, we'll just call it conventional educational models? You know,
1: overall, I don't think there's a lot of difference in how you approach it. If you really take on the approach that we're going to create a life and a lifestyle that that shows and and models for our kids how we want to live a responsible life and how we want to be thinking about these things. And, again, over dinner we have real conversations about things that are happening or even things in the news, you know, and, and, and engaging kids in that. That There doesn't have to be a lot of difference because even when kids go to a traditional school, they're spending a lot of time at home. But what you do need to be thinking about is that if a child is going to any other sort of of um, school, or spending a lot of time in at, at another activity. I mean, it doesn't even have to be, you know, formal education. What is that environment? What are those, you know, I mean, that's essentially a community, one of many that that child is involved in, right? So what is being communicated within that community? And how does that mesh or contradict what we are doing at home and as a family? So, I would say that you know for children who are going to school that that's one of the most important things is you know know your child, know your family, but know to know your child, you need to know not only them as an individual but all of the the influences in their life, all of the communities that they are involved in, and so what is being communicated in these other places? so that you can actually talk about that. And don't be afraid to talk about that with kids, even young kids. You know, I mean, even with with very young kids, I talk about all the time about how when we are at, at, you know, at home, we have certain things that we can do, and then when we're at someone else's home, some of those things may not be appropriate because they're different environments. And so there's no reason why you can't start having those discussions with kids, but to do that you need to know what's happening. And, you know, so, um, and then the other thing is, if your kid is going to, you know, another, another place for, for education or, again, even for just an activity where they spend a lot of time, you need to know what are the most likely things that could occur. And, you know, and so that you then, when you are at home, when you are thinking about how we live our life responsibly, that is a real possible situation for your kid, even though you as the adult may not spend much time there. You need to think about that for your child and so that you can be incorporating that into your play plans. You can be, you know, drawing connections when you're reading books. Um, again, like, you know, just a big storm. I mean, that's a great one. What happens if you're at school, you know, and the power goes out? What do you do? Have you guys talked about in that class? Um, you, know, a, you know, a fire or, you know, whatever it may be that would be, in your case, most likely, I mean, depending on where you live, um, and that's... You know that's the other thing about hard skills versus soft skills is that, you know, hard school in one in one situation or in one environment may be totally applicable. But you know, if you haven't thought through how to help kids have the right mindset to just just be able to take responsibility, calm themselves down, find resources in their life, both people and things, you know, when they are in a different environment. Be it home versus school, be it you know living in one state and your your family up and moves to another state, how they can adjust. Um, so I think that is probably one of the biggest things is that you know you want to you want to just be aware and you want to help your child be aware that there are different environments and there are different things that that we need to be aware of and um, and these are the ones that are most applicable to you and also these might be the ones that are most applicable to you when mom and dad are not around. And then what, you know, then who is, who is available, who's in your life, you know, and again, beyond the, the 911 dispatcher, beyond just run and find a police officer, you know, um, I mean, because that's not always reasonable. I mean, who are really the tangible people in that child's life? And then realizing that and helping the child realize that they themselves are an important resource, that what they have, their knowledge, their skills, right, their grounding and and who they are is an important resource whenever you're in a situation like this.
0: Absolutely. Um, what are some resources you'd suggest for parents to have on hand, either for everyday education or in an emergency situation?
1: Well, there, there are some great ones um, that are out there. There are some great books. Um, I'll, I actually put together um, – uh page on my website so that folks can go and just check out some, you know, kid friendly books um, that get to some important um, ideas. But overall I am not an advocate for preparing by stocking up with workbooks. Or, you know, um, you know I, I see or hear people and they're like, well, you know, I've gone and I've, I've you know, purchased all these things that I haven't just seen down in case, you know, in case the world comes to an end. And then I've got ways to, you know, to educate my children. And instead, I think it's really important that we just look around at what is organic in our lives. And those are the resources that are probably the most powerful learning resources every day and in an emergency. And so you know, looking at those, and not just when you know times get tough, right, but looking at those when when it's not really a big deal, when no one's going to get hurt and starting to recognize those things um, but there um, there are some great books out there um, and uh, one of them for for parents um, to understand the Importance of the soft skills and how they can then apply to be able to to actually use hard skills in creative, innovative ways is a book called Mind in the Making um, by Ellen Galinsky. Um, it's an excellent book. It has lots of different um, games and activities that you can do where you do simple things like um, uh, you know. Green light, red light, like you used to do as a kid, right, where, you you know, someone yells or you have a picture of a green light and, you know, you're on one line and you have to try and get to the other line. When it, when the light's green, you get to run as fast as you can. When it's red, you have to, you know, you have to learn how to stop your body, right? But what happens when you change the rules for a kid? So now every time that you say green light, you're supposed to stop, right? So it's counter to what you normally think of, and how you can help a child um, be able to be very conscious about their thinking through really fun games like that. Um, there's um, another one for, for those who are really interested in how do I, how do I you know take these soft skills and then help my children learn hard skills. There is a book that I um, came across, it's an excellent book, it's called Teaching Primitive Skills to Children, it's an instructor's manual, so this one's for adults. Um, by Jeffrey, and I'm going to mispronounce his last name, but Gottlieb. Um and he wrote this, and it is spectacular. It's you know, and it teaches you how to teach your children some of these hard skills. How to not only you know build a fire, right, but also things like how do you cook without electricity um, or power, right? Primitive cooking is one of the skills that's in this book. Um, so that's an excellent one. Um, another thing is you know to um, to simply connect with other people um, to you know to start talking as a you know as a community about what you're doing, what's working and you know and to create our own resource in that way. Um, I mean there's all these things out there, and what I try and do with, with permi kids um, is I want to yeah, we are creating some stuff ourselves, but a lot of it is about connecting to things that are already out there, making you guys aware of these resources that exist, um, many of them either free or available through your library, um, and, you know, that you can, you can get and you can combine and, and use. So um, coming together as a community and sharing. Uh, and, you know, I've started doing uh, monthly Hangouts, you know, Google Hangouts uh with people in, in the Perma Kids community who've come to me and said, you know, geez, I really wanna I wanna collaborate about issues just like this. You know, what sort of resources should I have? What are people doing? What works for them? Um, and you know, and so doing a monthly hangout with folks where you just get together and you talk. Um, in fact, we're doing one this Sunday, and uh, you know, I've already you know have um, you know well over half of the spots. You know, people said, "Yeah, I'm in. I want to. I want to start talking with people and building our own community, even though we are miles away potentially from one another." Um, so, you know, that's what I would suggest: is start taking a look. There are resources galore out there, and you know, if we can help each other identify what those are and how to access those resources and then how we are using them with our children in a way that works for our children and or using them in a way that didn't work and maybe why so that we can pass on that information um, so we can empower each other, not just our kids, but, uh, you know, each other as adults, too, about how to go about this um, so that we feel confident that we can allow our kids to start taking responsibility to start doing things independently, um, you know, and and that we feel like, you know what, I am capable of teaching my kid how to do this in a way that is going to be fun, is going to be engaging, is going to be meaningful, is going to be lasting for my kid.
0: Absolutely. So can you give us a little update on what's going on with Kids?
1: Oh, um lots Geez, i I feel like uh oh I feel like there's lots going on um so <laughs> <laughs> um, so we have uh uh well, like I said, over a hundred podcasts already, and you know i'm I'm starting to hear from folks it's really really interesting from my perspective, um because as when you do a podcast, sometimes you do it, and you put it out there, and you know y- you have certain software and things out there that you can see you know how many people are you know are uh, you know subscribed to your RSS feed but really doesn't tell you how many people are are listening and doing anything with it or if it's even of value to anyone because that's, I mean, that's the whole point. So it's been really fun because I'm starting to get a lot of feedback from folks who are coming out of, you know, the woodwork per se, that, you know, I haven't had any emails from them. I haven't, you know, we haven't had communication via Facebook or Twitter, um, but yet they're emailing me just out of the blue saying, you know what, I've been listening to you and, you know, I really appreciate this. What you said was so simplistic and yet, so profound. I never thought about approaching it that way with my kid. I'm going to try something a little different this time. Or, you know, hey, I, I took this and and uh, you know, I'm I'm trying this and you know, I'm going to get back to you and you know, let you know what I what I think. So, um, so we really have. A, it's fun to start seeing this community come together. Um, uh, I mentioned we have hangouts. They're happening once a month, and I may end up having to uh, to do those more often because we're getting you know so many people that are are interested in connecting with one another. Um, so we have a hangout going on this Sunday, uh, 1 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. Uh, if folks are interested. They can uh, either get on the the uh, website and check it out or just email me at Jen at permakids.com, and uh, I'll make sure you get on the email list so that you know exactly what you need to do if you want to start connecting with other parents that are interested in bringing this sort of thinking to to their kids um, I uh, um, have some lesson plans that uh, we've put together that are available and um, I always keep one rotating um, that ends up being just a you know a free download that people can go in and check it out and when I say lesson it's not like you go in and it's all scripted for you and you have to teach lesson a before you teach lesson B it's about things like we talked about today, you know, role play or play plan and giving you ideas that then you take back and you you implement with your kids in a way that is meaningful for you. Um, and so every single lesson plan actually has, you know, a handful of ways to introduce that idea. It has, you know, maybe 8, 10, 12 different activities that you could do. Um, and the community actually came together since I was on last, and we voted on what should our first, you know, unit be about. What should the big question be? Um, and what we came up with was we're we're talking about what is a challenge in your life, and how can you make that, quote unquote, problem into a solution. That is the theme. That is the question that drives every single one of the lesson plans that then we're putting together. So it's all about empowerment. It's what is the challenge in your child's life, and then how can they make that into a solution? And that either means actually taking the problem and, and the problem is the solution, or it might mean just changing your perspective about about that challenge and um, and coming together. So we have lesson plans that are available, um, you know, and, heck, the first one we did was, you know, well, what is a challenge? You know, how do you teach kids about what a challenge is? And, you know, so that would be things like, um, I don't know if you've ever heard the uh, Aesop's fable, The Crow and the Pitcher. Um, that's a, a story where basically a crow is thirsty and, and there's a pitcher of water, but uh, he puts his, puts his beak in and can't reach the water. So what do you do? Well, the crow ends up finding some stones nearby and plunks in one stone after another until the water rises high enough that it can drink it. Um, And so, you know, creating lesson plans like that where you're incorporating um, a fun story, um, but also you have a historical, you have a learning, you know, a moral to that, and then having kids create, you know, play plans and actually do that sort of thing um, where they get to start to, you know, identify challenges in their life, um, and interestingly, the community said, you know, um, of all the challenges that are most most applicable and most important to my kids, because what I did is I said, here's a, a poll, here's a survey. I want to know what you think, but I want you to go to your kid, and I want you to ask them, what do they want to learn about? And And then... Once we identified that it was about challenges in their life and how what they can do about those challenges, then I said, go back and ask your kid, what challenges do they see right now in their life that they are struggling with, that they want to figure out, and they, they want your help, right, to learn about? And people came back with basically four things, and one of them is time. You know, how do you deal with time and time management? Um, and another was resources. Interestingly enough, folks came back and said, "You know, my kids are saying that they struggle with with resources. And for kids, a lot of times resources could be toys, but you know, you can use that as a launching point. Um, and so we're creating lesson plans about, you know, how to deal with resources, how to look at them, how to use and value them, and again, how to get creative and uh, and use things in in different ways." Um, And then the other two are very much related, which is communication skills and social skills. Um, And obviously, social skills goes right to the heart of care of people, um, but so does communication. Um, So we are creating lesson plans about that and incorporating things like, hey, you know, what about one of the ideas for, you know, in the lesson plan is why don't you guys maybe do some sort of community barbecue, And when you invite your neighbors over, instead of just having a barbecue and people come over and chat, which is great, that's a great start, but why not give them a heads up that you're gonna do something like the barter blanket? Right? And you start doing this and you ask you ask everyone who all your neighbors to come and at first they're gonna think it's all silly, right? And and you have your kids and you ask their kids to to bring something. Heck, you could do that for a birthday party activity, right? Where people It is one of the most
0: um engaging activities when it comes to getting people talking to each other thinking creatively it it's something that I'll forever be grateful to Ron Hood for exposing me to it's um it was something the first time we did it here we're like well we're we're really on to something this has to be at every event that we do and you see a lot of times people that have been sort of gelling and talking getting along all of a sudden become like best of friends Um, because you learn a lot about yourself, and you learn a lot about each other with that activity.
1: Oh, absolutely, and imagine what your kids are learning, not only by doing the activity themselves. I mean, they should have them come up with five things that they want to bring out there and put on that barter blanket, right? But also, just by seeing you maybe even come out of your own comfort zone and do this, right, and your neighbors and the relationship that you're actually building by doing this and how you're teaching them that you know there are different ways to to communicate there are different ways to exchange value um and you don't have to you know prep them by you know by scaring them with some sort of zombie apocalypse to do things like this that actually help them build those skills that would be of value in any sort of adversity
0: absolutely so um how can folks learn more about what you're doing jen
1: Oh, um, well, you can um, check out permakids.com, and uh, it's just the main um, page right now, but you'll see on there there's a link to the podcasts, so if you want to check those out. Uh, podcasts also go out through RSS, um, and I have a, a link on the website, so you can find that. Uh, they can also, you can get them through iTunes if you, you know, choose to do it that way. Um, and uh, And there's also a link to uh, the Facebook page right from there um, or the store if you want to check out what some of those things are. The other thing is is if folks want to um, to join the email list, um, I email out um, at least once a month um, some lesson plan ideas like this. I put it out and I say, "Hey, you know what? I, I want to give this to you guys because I want to know what you think and you know and then gain some feedback from folks, how can we refine this? How will you use this?" And so, you know, if you just want some some more you know ideas, jump on the email list um, and that's also a great way to to be notified when we do more of these hangouts um, you know I'm getting folks that are not only coming to PermiKids, Kids but you know there's some folks through um, permit ethos community who are looking to join us at the the hangout this Sunday. There are some folks that I've connected through uh, the um, uh, the the PRI website um, and some um, articles I've gone there that I've connected to who are doing things who are actually teachers who are putting together a school garden and so you know we have uh, actually two um, individuals who think they might be able to join us for this next hangout that are coming from that perspective um, so you know and the e- getting on the email list is another great way just to be notified of these different events and how to connect with each other because again you know there are so many resources out there and we are all great resources for each other. Why are we not connecting and sharing those in a way that is accessible and documents it so it's available for us and for others who maybe can't be there for that one hangout, right? But is available for others, um throughout, you know, throughout time.
0: Absolutely. Well, hey, let me just say, uh, Thanks for being on the air with us, and thanks for all the work you're doing to uh, to try to give parents more options in uh, bringing up really great kids into really great adults.
1: Well, thanks, Jack, and I really appreciate the the inspiration. Um, you know, I did this with my own kids, but it feels great to be able to to take that and actually build upon it and just share with people out there, and the response and how we are coming together as a community is, is inspiring. and. The way I look at it is the more I give, the more that that I end up getting really because we come together and each one of us are bringing something forth and what we end up having, the whole is so much more valuable than the sum of its parts. And so, you know, the more that I can give and if what I do or some of the ideas are of value, great. I want people to use them. I want them to take it tweak it, add to it, you know, do what you want, um, you know, and the whole thing with Kids is that it is licensed under Creative Commons and where it's just all you have to do is, you know, if there is an original idea that, that you heard there, you know, it would be great if you'd reference where it came from. And, it, and then I want you to be willing to share your ideas as you build upon and you do something new and innovative. I want you to be willing to, to share that information out there too. Um, with others and so I, I want to say thank you to you too because again if it if it wasn't for you I would definitely still be doing this with my kids but um, I wouldn't necessarily be sharing it the way I am and um, hearing from people that what I have to say is of value to them and then what they have to share has been incredibly valuable for my kids so overall you know we're we're creating um, an educational opportunity that is something that's more than I could just do on my own and it's because of the community. So thank you. And thanks to everyone in your community too because um, when I came on last time, you know, your uh, the TSP community really came together. Um, and uh because of that I, I did send you an, an email and hopefully you can put it in the show notes. Um, I'm gonna throw together a couple uh uh discount codes. Um, so that, uh, you know, as things move along here, um, I have some lesson plans available. Again, some are free right now. Every single month I send out more through my, you know, the email subscription. Um, and then come around the end of this month, I'm I'm probably going to open up a membership opportunity where people can um, become, you know, a member and get everything that I do just for one set price per month. And, uh, you know, so um, I put together a couple discount codes for, for the TSP folks and for the MSB folks to, uh, to be able to go on and check things out for, uh, you know, some of it for free and then others for, you know, for a good discount and if you want to check out more and see if this is something that you guys want to be part of. Um, you know, I, I really look forward to it because uh, you guys have been so supportive and uh, I really hope that what I'm doing is of value and I know what people are giving back to me and to the community is of great value. So, again, the whole is, is more than the sum of its parts, so thank you.
0: Absolutely. Well, I, again, I appreciate you being on the air with us today and uh, all of the uh, great work you're doing. And it, it, it is really inspiring to see people starting to reach out to others and, and, and create more options. I mean, um, I've been a proponent of homeschooling for a long time, but I think a lot of the reason that people don't do it is they just aren't sure what to do or they're not sure that they can do it. And I think there's a lot of parents also that say I, I I'm not going to homeschool, but I wish I could be more involved with my my child's education. And I think things like what you're doing help both of those types of parents. So again, thanks for being on the air today. And with that, I'll just say, hey, folks, this has been Jack Spearke today, along with Jen Mendez, helping you figure out how to live that better life. If times get tough, or even if what we eat I don't know the answer it's like there's nothing I can do it's the price we pay I guess we follow all the rules